Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. When Jesus says that we are salt, he's telling us to be nice people and to do nice things. So go in peace and be nice people and do nice things. Amen. Wait a minute. Something's not right. There must be more to what Jesus is saying simply than be nice. But it's easy for us to breeze past these familiar Bible stories and images because we are so familiar with them. And so it becomes easy for us to hear what we want to hear, to remove the stories and images from their proper context, and to put in our own preferred meanings. You know, the ones that are more easy and comfortable for us. The ones we like, that align with our own opinions. You see, the modern church has found a way to talk about Jesus that is easy. A way that doesn't challenge us or confront us or demand anything of us. We found a way to read the Bible that conforms to our expectations and norms and comfort levels. But this doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? The rabbi who is known to provoke and challenge, to prod, and to make people uncomfortable. So what is Jesus really getting at when he tells us that we are salt? Well, first it's important to discuss the nature and qualities of salt. Jesus is not talking about what we would call table salt, the ones that we put on our, in the shakers that go on our table. Table salt can go stale. It can, you could say, lose its saltiness. Jesus is not talking about this. He's talking, rather, about something that would have been very abundant in his time and place. Sea salt. The salt left it from evaporated salt water. The natural qualities of sea salt is that it will always be salty no matter what, no matter how old it is. It will not lose its saltiness. Now salt, we know, is a necessary ingredient in almost, or to add flavor. Think of potatoes without salt. Yuck. And I grew up in a household that we had potatoes probably five out of seven nights of the week. Salt is the one ingredient needed in almost every recipe. I was scandalized as a young child to see my mom putting salt in the cookies and in the cake. Why are you putting salt in that? We put that in the potatoes. So if the salt that Jesus is talking about can't possibly lose its flavor and its saltiness, Jesus' audience would have immediately understood that he must be getting at something else. That this remark about salt losing its saltiness is rather strange. Come on, Jesus. We all know that's not possible. What are you getting at? Well, true to form, Jesus is offering us one of those famous twists of his. Now, he's not doing this as a way to simply keep the audience's attention. He's trying to cue them to a deeper spiritual, theological meaning. We hear Jesus doing this all the time in his preaching, don't we? You have heard it was said, but truly I tell you this. And then goes on to undo the received wisdom of the world. Jesus is constantly challenging expectations and confronting assumptions. And perhaps as the most, of the most well-known of Jesus' challenging reversals, his twists, is the Beatitudes, which were read last week in which Jesus upends all of our expectations and assumptions. The humble 
the lowly, the poor, the suffering, the sorrowful, and the merciful, they, they get to be first in God's kingdom? In other words, the powerful, the prideful, the popular, all those who have it all together in our culture, they have to wait in line. Completely at odds with what our world tells us, isn't it? But this still doesn't really explain what Jesus means when he says, be careful, salt can lose its saltiness. So we have to go a little bit deeper. We have to place Jesus' remarks about salt into their proper scriptural context within Israel's liturgical practices. And to do this, I've just highlighted two verses from the Old Testament that I'm going to read. The first from Leviticus. These are the instructions that God gave to Moses about how the Israelite people were to worship. And God through Moses says this, When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Don't leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. And these grain offerings were basically bread or pancakes. That was part of their liturgical practices. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, uh, God is giving Ezekiel a vision of what restored worship in the temple will look like after the exile. And God says to Ezekiel, You are to offer your sacrifices before the Lord, and the priests are to sprinkle salt on them, and to sacrifice them as a burnt offering unto the Lord. Salt was a requirement for all of Israel's sacrifices, both the grain sacrifices and the meat sacrifices. So basically, Israel loved a good barbecue and loved a good pancake dinner, is what it comes down to. Because they would eat this, or cook it, and the priests would take their portion, and then the people would eat it. And where it really starts to get interesting, and where our, our ears will start to perk up, is that wine was offered along with these sacrifices. You see, the sacrifices of grain and meat offered with salt and wine, were a meal that God shared with God's people. They were to be a physical manifestation of God's loving presence among his people. Does that sound familiar? It kind of should. Let's return to this passage from Leviticus that describes this salt as, quote, the salt of the covenant of your God. We find this language of covenant throughout the scriptures. In fact, it is one of the overarching dominant themes of the scriptures as a whole. Indeed, the word testament is from the Latin word testamentum, and a testamentum is an oath or a covenant. We can put it this way if it's a little bit hard to understand. We, you will notice that we, the scriptures we have are divided into two parts, aren't they? We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. But we could equally call them the Old or the First Covenant, and the new or the final covenant. Now, biblically speaking, a covenant is a unilateral promise that God makes with particular individuals, such as Adam and Noah and Abraham and others, but also that God makes with particular groups of people, such as the Israelites. In the covenant, God essentially says this, you will be my people and I will be your God. And in order to seal this deal, so to speak, the people respond by following the requirements of the covenant. And so in the case of the old or the first covenant, this was following the Torah, the laws that were given by God to Moses. And a central element, as we know, of keeping God's covenant for the Israelite people 
was the sacrificial system of offering bread, meat, and wine. And when the people faithfully offered these things, always remembering to add that pinch of salt, they were reminding themselves of God's promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be the people set apart by me to be a blessing to the nations. The only way that these covenant obligations could be fulfilled was for the people to regularly worship God in the distinctive way of life outlined in the law and the prophets. You see, God meant for this way of life and worship to serve as a witness to the rest of the world, to show the world that God is indeed real, alive, and active in the world. So in the second part of our gospel reading, when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but rather I have come to fulfill them, to elevate them, to perfect them, to show us what they are really all about. What were they getting at with these strange rituals, which actually maybe aren't that strange? Jesus is drawing our attention to the fact that the covenant is still in effect, that God still calls particular people in particular places to worship him and serve him in particular ways. You see, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets through his very self, because he is the living bread from heaven, he pours out his body and blood as an offering on the altar of the cross. He sacrifices himself for the sins of the world. It is through this action of Jesus that we see that God is real, alive, and active in the world. And it is through the sacraments of the new covenant, of baptism and the Eucharist, that we see that God is real, alive, and active in our world. And it is through the work of the church through our work, that the world can see that God is real, alive, and active in our world for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. So by calling us salt, Jesus is using a metaphor. In the new covenant, we are to be the salt of the covenant sacrifices offered to God in the temple. But wait a minute, the temple is destroyed. Well, Jesus knows this. What Jesus is saying is we are called to offer our very lives, our souls and our bodies, to be a sacrifice offered for the sake of the world. And the temple? Well, the temple, of course, is Jesus himself. He is our high priest and he is the new living embodiment of the temple. It is the temple of his body and blood, destroyed and raised to life three days later. My friends, as Jesus' disciples, we, like salt, are meant to add something to the world. We are meant to add to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are meant to echo his voice. We are meant to reflect his light in our lives. In other words, as St. Paul famously says in his letter to the Romans, we are meant to be living sacrifices. This is what it means to be salt. As Jesus' disciples, our purpose is to bring out the best in other people, by leading them to Christ. The witness of our lives is meant to show others that there is a path out of darkness, that there is another way, and that way is the light of Christ. Our baptismal vocation is to allow Christ to come and so join himself to us that our lives are transformed from the inside out, and they are so transformed that we cannot help but be a blessing to others. So you see, being a Christian is not primarily about a lofty set of ideals. It's not a system of ethics or of personal beliefs. 
Being a Christian is first and foremost about an encounter with Jesus Christ, an encounter that leaves me changed, marked, and set apart for his service, to be salt. Being a disciple means recognizing that God is God and I am not, and that God is, in fact, real, alive, and active. Being a disciple means that we are the salt added to Jesus' offering of himself. And this is where the rubber starts to hit the road. This is where things start to get a little bit challenging and uncomfortable. By saying that salt, by saying that we can lose our saltiness, Jesus is saying that it is very possible to go through your life thinking that you are a nice person and you do nice things and completely miss the point he's trying to make. Jesus' disciples are meant to add something to the world. But if I don't have this thing in my own life, I cannot possibly add it to the world. Of course, this thing is the light and love of Christ shining in and through my life, born of a deep connection and a relationship with Jesus. I cannot add this to the world if it's not in my own life. Now, we can think of it this way. We know that Jesus always has harsh words for those religious people who think they have God all figured out. But Jesus does not condemn them because he thinks they're too black and white. No. And he doesn't condemn them because he thinks they are too demanding in how they are expecting people to live their lives. Not at all. Jesus condemns them because their obsession with going through the motions turned into a very way of avoiding what the covenant was all about. In other words, Jesus condemns them because they found an easy way to talk about God, an easy way to make the covenant work for them, and they completely missed the deeper theological and spiritual meaning of what it means to be salt. You see, when we fail to live as saints, when we fail to live as salt and light, our world suffers. But when we imitate Christ's love and mercy and generosity, the world will see our good deeds and will glorify our Heavenly Father. Yes, in our divisive and dark world, it seems that evil and darkness often prevail. But remember this, no amount of darkness can extinguish the light of even a single match or candle. What if all those who called themselves Christians took care to be salt by following God's commands, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to refuse to retaliate against those who have hurt us? What if we intentionally shared the good news of Jesus' sacrifice with others and invited them to be salt with us, to share our life and his? My sisters and brothers in Christ, our mission is to be this sacrificial offering given to the Lord for the sake of the world. If we don't live faithfully as disciples every day of the week, then there is no way that we can participate in this mission to sanctify and bless the world. So in closing, what does this maybe mean for us in our highly secular Canadian context? Well, I think maybe it's this. To lose our saltiness means to follow the culture, to seek the world's approval for what the church says and does, to say we will not say these things or do these things if the world finds them offensive or unpalatable. To lose our salt means allowing ourselves to see religion as merely a private or a personal matter between me and God and only for Sunday mornings. This is what it means, I think, to lose our salt. 
Now for us in a Canadian context who at this time of year are used to seeing salt used on the roads, maybe being salt is seeking to melt the ice, to drive away the coldness of our world, to melt hardened hearts, and to drive away the coldness of secularism that says there is no God, and even if there was, he doesn't care. Maybe being salt is being a matter or being a people that ensure that others have something solid to grip onto when life gets slippery. After all, what could be more warm, what could be more solid than the love of Christ, of receiving his body and blood, of praying for and loving others, even and especially those who hate us? You are salt. Go and be salt. Amen.